our money, like stories, our beliefs, our feelings about money are informed by so many different aspects. For quite a while, it was calling up family to ask them to deliver some shopping so I could feed my kids. Like it was really, really bad. I don't want everyone just focusing on making loads of money. I want people focusing on making the kind of money that makes them, that allows them to live the life they want. And I talk about underpricing or overstretching. With pricing, I don't really talk about overpricing. I think you can overstretch with your pricing. So we're getting in our clients' pockets and deciding with a no, no knowledge of their income other than maybe snippets what they can and can't afford I don't think affordability exists so you want to attract the perfect clients but with every single thing you do that attracts them you're going to repel the not ideal clients like if it's not generous to you it's actually not generous to the other people Welcome back to the podcast. You're listening to Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham. We're this week's guest. Feels weird saying guest. I don't feel like you're a guest. It's just a chat. Yeah. But oh, just a this week's person. person. <laughs> <laughs> this week's other voice that you can hear. Ray Dodd, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. I feel like we've crossed paths so many times. I know, I know. When you like kind of land in my inbox few weeks ago about a month yeah. ago maybe I was like oh <laughs> this is nice I know so I think we chatted on TikTok a bit when you joined we did you and welcomed then, yeah. me onto the platform and then I, I know Vix who I know you know so I've yep. heard lots of talk about you from Vix as well <laughs> such so, yeah. a small world it is a it? tiny world everyone yeah. knows everyone <laughs> it's like that game of you can always get to someone through five connections is, and is I feel like in the business space it's probably like three yeah oh if yeah not two. Oh my god it would be quite a short game wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. I love playing that game I play that to get myself to sleep sometimes amazing <laughs> and connect really random celebrities yes Just, yeah I've got a few key people in my life who are like in good circles and they're always my first so it's oh, like if nice. I need to get to Justin Bieber right I know someone who's <laughs> A singer. I used to try and link really disparate, like really random people, and I'll okay. be a royal with like Will Smith. Yes. And now with Meghan Markle. True. It, she's kind of ruined it in a way because I can just go some something via suits, ah, and I'm there. She is yeah. truly bridging the gap. <laughs> Shout out to Meghan Markle, making change everywhere. Well, not on the topic of Meghan Markle, yes. but on the topic of money. Yes. Which the listeners will be very excited to have seen yeah. is the topic of today's episode. Yeah. Always the most downloaded episodes are about money. And I think so much of what you share, definitely myself, mm. if not the listeners as a secondary, I'm almost just here to ask you the questions for my own <laughs> personal gain, if I'm honest with you. Um, I know we'll find so much value in. Yeah. I think an interesting place to begin would be to understand a bit more of your story with yeah. money. I'm always fascinated when people end up in jobs that like you wouldn't see your job title on a no. careers page right you're not in school and it's like oh do you want to be a money coach just helping people to it's like yeah. that's just not a thing so yeah. I'm curious I guess what's your story with money looked like and how has that led you to do the work that you do today so this is so interesting you ask this because in my welcome sequence in my emails the second or first email people get is my kind of a, a chunk of my money story but like it's there's so many aspects to it and it's always the one that, like, I had someone email me once and go, someone told me to sign up to your emails for that email to wow. hear that story. So the story of, like, really, like, obviously there's lots of aspects. I was just writing an email about this sort of thing before I got here. Like, our money, like, stories, our beliefs, our feelings about money are, are informed by so many different aspects. Mm. Like, I always say, like, it's family, it's society, it's the culture you grew up in, it's the school, it's, like, so much stuff beliefs just general like mythology about money that exists in society the best place to start I think is where I started my business from which was 2016 mm -hmm. and I always say this is in the email as well it's the year David Bowie died and I think it's the year like I think David Bowie was holding up the fabric of the universe <laughs> because it's also the year Trump got voted in oh, and no. it's also the year that Brexit happened I think oh all of that gosh. happened and David Bowie died in January and then it all like David. we all know what's happened since then David so I like that he was holding the fabric of the universe together that's incredible. And it fell apart. And also my personal life fell apart quite dramatically. So my husband had been running a business, which I knew wasn't making much money, but I thought was bringing in some. And I remember so vividly, he was on the, our bed with our kids and I walked in and he said, we had this hallway of doom, I like to call it, which is loads of stuff that needs eBaying. Oh, and amazing. it's in our hallway. Love <laughs> that. It's like the drawer of tat. Yeah, exactly. But a hallway. Um, at university, we used to call it the tub of love. <laughs> it was all <laughs> of our like dishes and stuff in amazing. our halls. So we had this hallway full of stuff that needed selling at the time. And he said to me, he went, should, we should eBay some stuff. And now this man has never suggested anything like that in his life. I was mm. like, what do you mean? Why do you want us to eBay stuff? Mm. And he just went, we've got no money. And I was like, what do you mean we've got no money? He's like, we've got £7.50. We had £7.50 left in our all our accounts everything wow. credit cards everything we had nothing 
And I had been, he and, and to be fair, I want to be really clear because part of this is his story, so I have to be really careful how I tell it. Sure. But I do have his permission to tell it. He had not done anything terrible. He just wanted to shield me from money worries. Mm -hmm. So he'd, the money had gone on food and living and stuff, but he hadn't told me that he wasn't bringing that money in from that business. And I was running a business at the time. I was a hypnobirthing teacher. So I'd had my kids and I'd gone into like, as lots of mums do, working in that kind of birth world. And I could make like 300 to a thousand pounds in a month, but it was very like, I didn't know what it was gonna be. So I was like, oh my God, we've got no money. And like, um, to be really clear, for quite a while, it was calling up family to ask them to deliver some shopping so I could feed my kids. Mm. Like it was really, really bad. We went on benefits, we, we got other credit cards, all of that stuff. Um, but in that time, I realized that I had been very ambitious for his business. I kept saying to him, what point will you be making that much money? And what will that mean? And when will you do that? And how are you gonna do that all the time? But I was working part-time, but mostly a stay-at-home mum with two children under three, I think I had at the oh time. Yeah, so gosh. one of the kids was, <laughs> it was 2000, he was 18 months, I think, when this happened. And the other one was maybe four, actually. So two under wow. four. And um, I suddenly clicked and was like, hey, I can't expect him to do this for me. Like I've been inadvertently looking for him to rescue me mm. or rescue us as a family and I'm not doing the stuff I could do. So I really upped my game in the birthing business that I was running and managed to get that. I started to employ other teachers and really grew the amount of classes we were doing. And the I think I invested, I think I'd actually just invested in it beforehand in my first ever coaching e-course type thing. And I did that and that started to grow and grow and grow. But I had this idea in my head about coaching mums. And I was like, I just wanna like, I wonder if that would work. And then I got on a call with a coach who I was going to do some work with. And I was like, um, thing is, we talked about my hypnobirthing business. And I was like, but the thing is right at the end, and this is what people always do. Clients always do this in a call. And I think people do it in therapy as well. It's a yes. really well-known thing. I think in the doctor world, it's known as the hand on the door question. Yeah. Cause yeah. your hand is on the door <laughs> as you're leaving the room and you're yeah. like, Oh, and just one quick thing that's actually going to completely change the trajectory exactly. of everything we just talked yeah. about. Therapists say the session's not over until the door's shut. Yes. Because as people are putting on their coat, more stuff comes out. So I did that and I went, there is this other idea, but I know if I look at it, if I pick it up, I'll never be able to put it down and I won't want to do anything else. What and a in, sign. Exactly. <laughs> but obviously hilarious to me now. But at the time I was like, and that's bad because I won't, I'll leave this business that's working and it's getting better mm. and I'll, I'll, be distracted and I also um I, don't, I know like everybody's being diagnosed with ADHD at the moment I am not diagnosed but I have a strong suspicion I've got ADHD and so I do that thing of the bright shiny thing lots of ideas I'm somebody with a very like full head of ideas mm. so I've got a trail of businesses from like before I had kids that I kind of started but didn't start or spent money on didn't do them from way back mm. how many domains do you own I'm not a domain buyer Are you I know not? I'm I a domain buyer <laughs> lots of people oh. are domain but I don't really do that I don't know why I've, I own about four Okay. But like it's not. a humble amount. Yeah. I feel like that's a dinner party question where like, <laughs> if you're not in the business space, but like, how many domains have you got? People would be like, that's the weirdest thing. Yeah. But I think ask a business owner, easily everyone's got a couple of but domains. But I think it's because I, I'm very comfortable doing everything under the radar kind of gotcha. thing. So if I was to do like all the ideas, if like, you ask me how many courses have I run or how many, I, like that would be, okay. that's my domains. I'm gotcha. just, I'd like to do it through me. This coach said to me, in fact, she was like, well, there's a choice. You can work on your hypnobirthing business or you can do the coaching thing. And I'm not working on both with you. You have to pick one. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do the coaching thing then. So I tried it and that evolved over time into the money thing. So I was actually writing this email this morning was about the first money course I ever ran. And I was like, I was so naive. Like I got people in, was really excited about it. And I just had no idea the level of feeling and the intensity of emotion that I was gonna let out in that Facebook group and on those Zoom calls when we mm. did the like live sessions and stuff. I remember just being like, oh my God. And the thing with me with money is I've had to deal with so much around my own. I didn't grow up with money. I was um, the like, not probably not the poorest, but one of the ones with the least money at a private school. My grandparents paid for it. So I remember one of my friends who lived in a mansion with electric gates, like mm. a proper Kardashian. They had like a bar and they had a pool room and they had like, it was just 
unbelievable. Her whole, her bedroom, you could fit my whole house in. Oh. The footprint of the bottom of my house would fit in her bedroom. Yeah. So she came around to my tiny house, which is smaller than my house now. And um, I remember her looking out the window and the people across the road had a Porsche. And she was like, why would they live in a house like this, but have a car like that? And it was that a lot of the time. Like this kind of like feeling very like I couldn't afford the clothes that they all had or the holidays they had or the skincare that I really wanted that their mums all had. Absolutely loved going in their mum's bathrooms with all the amazing skincare. <laughs> I will have a little bit of that. Uh, yeah, Thank look at you. this, Karen's. Nobody will know. <laughs> like as we all do, just so much money stuff. Certainly didn't think I was somebody that could successfully run a business, to be honest, mm. after my previous attempts. And definitely not somebody who could earn quote unquote, a lot of money, whatever that looks like. And so as I kind of went through that stuff and I shared it with my audience and then I started to get more and more into it, that's when I decided to, after a lot of resistance, to become mm. a money coach. There was a lot of resistance about becoming a money coach. Because like you said, it's not something you see. And also the ones that I had seen were very like blow dried and kind of like a lot of caftans. And I love a caftan, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But it's not like I'm also somebody who will spill dinner down myself. Yeah. And as we discussed sitting here, my feet don't touch the floor. So I'm sitting <laughs> with my legs crossed. Like I don't feel, I, or I didn't feel at the time, I was put together enough sure. to be that, that sort of coach. Mm. And if the coach is showing up like that, inadvertently the audience some of the audience I should say will yeah. likely feel that they can't relate to what that coach is exactly. sharing because they cannot relate to the yeah. person and so very quickly I realized what a strength that was mm. because it's not just for you know certain types of people and I won't be the right type of person for everybody to talk about money I won't have the right words the way I dress might not be quite right or whatever it is the topics that I focus on but for some people if I don't do what I'm doing there's nobody out there really talking about it in the way that I am. Mm. And it surprises me that there's still, like I've been doing this, I think it's about seven years now. Does that work? No, six years. And there's still not really anybody mm. talking about it in the way that I do. There's, there are a few more, but I thought it would be like, everyone would be on it by now, like putting it in context of society and all of that stuff, but it's still quite rare. Completely. And I think it's so interesting because you can't avoid money in business. No. You know, partic I think any kind of business, but particularly the business that 99% of the listeners of this podcast will be listening yeah. to, where they run their business to make profit, yeah. to live a good life, yes. alongside all the other things that they want to do at their businesses. That's yeah. great. You can't avoid experiencing the effects of your relationship with money yes. when you run a business. Yes. But what I find fascinating, and I noticed this very early on in my business, is that nobody explains that to you. No. Nobody prepares you for no. it. Like it's only in hindsight really that I can see, oh, all of those weird feelings and decisions that I made about money in my first two years of business, yeah. those weren't things that were just like happening to everyone. Actually, that was because of something that was within yes. me. Yes, yes, yeah. What do you notice around why we all have such, and maybe why we all is a sweeping statement, why so many of us, have such wonky relationships with money? So I think it's enormous for starters. It's really, really layered. It's why it's one of the red flags for me, and it, this happens occasionally, someone will like slide into my DMs and be like, I've actually done all my money work, but I'm still finding I'm not making the money I want to. And I'm like, have you? Have you just read what you just yeah, wrote to me? <laughs> just read that back out loud <laughs> because I haven't done all my money work and I do it all day, every day. And mm. I don't see money work as being like a tick box exercise that you complete because the whole of society is telling us stories that are based in what coaches often describe as scarcity or lack, that there is not enough. And depending on who you are and how you present in the world, mm. that is gonna be more or less. But for some people that's gonna be really intense. And for some people it's just gonna be intense. <laughs> Yep. But I don't think it doesn't exist for anyone. And I think particularly for women, it shows up. Like, for example, I don't know if everybody will relate to this because, like, I don't know. I don't know what the like average age of your listener is. I hope it gets better as people are getting younger. But, like, yes. I'm an elder millennial. Like, I'm, an, I'm just scraping in. Okay. So I'm kind of she a bit... Snuck in the club. Snuck in. I think I'm literally the year. I know when I was growing up, there was... I didn't really th like other women. Like, there was such a story around mm -hmm. women are 
like not funny and they're not nice and they're bitchy and they're this and they're that. And I was like, but I'm funny mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm nice and I'm, you know, clever. And I'm all these things I was really wedding my identity to as a teenager. And I didn't see that in other women. I thought I was the only one. And I think a lot of people do experience this kind of competition that we're conditioned to have with one another. Like, you know, in a business sense, it's like when people say, oh, I can't start that business because so-and-so is doing it. And, but at the same time, they'd be the same person who would be like, oh, I can't do that because nobody's doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, and you have this kind of idea there's only so much space for people. Mm -hmm. And I think that in itself is, is deeply rooted in scarcity. This idea that there's not enough space for women mm -hmm. because unless we are more and more and more like men and particularly in the business space, in the online business space, it ends up being that kind of bro markety yep. vibe, which I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not in that corner of the world. I don't see that as much as I no, used to. I think it's dying out. I think people so. People are just seeing it for what it is. Yeah. But also probably our algorithms are so aware we hate it that maybe yeah, just... yeah exactly. Someone else is going like, oh, that's all I see. Yeah, completely. But yeah, so it's this kind of like, it's this idea that there just isn't enough for us. Mm. And I think everybody gets that message. It's what all systems of oppression are kind of, that's the soil they're grown in. But equally, some people experience it far more acutely. And I would say women and lots of other kind of like people that intersect with that with being a woman mm. experience that much more acutely. So yeah, and that spills into everything. And what I find so interesting, I guess, alongside what society tells us is also about, you know, how our upbringing and what we experience growing up affects us too, is that two people can have the exact same experience responding completely different ways. Yes. I remember that was a big realization for me you know, not even a long time ago, probably just in the last few years of having more open conversations with my friends and realizing like our relationships with money are wildly different. Yeah. Yours isn't right, mine isn't wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, it's not helped you or not helped me or whatever, but actually, oh, you've just kind of been taught without realizing it. I guess it's yeah. a very subconscious set yeah, of beliefs, totally isn't it? To yeah. act in that yeah. certain way. So I guess a lot of the work that you're doing is helping people to make more conscious beliefs. Yes instead of the ones that are just ingrained in us because of society, our upbringing exactly. and all It's of the like mess. you get to choose what how you relate to money. Mm. Like you get to mold and create that relationship because even though we talk about money as if it's a, a person, it's not a person. Like money is an object. It's at the most, it's an idea. And we have seen this, obviously we are recording this just after the mini budget fiasco of um, that's been going on in politics and like a lot of that is people lost confidence in the pound. They lost confidence in the government to be mm. able to steer the UK economy. And so our money starts literally being worthless. Money has, yes, it's an object and we can actually hold it in our hands, but also it's an idea and it's a feeling mm. that we have around it. But if money as an object was a certain way, we wouldn't be able to feel like joyful, scared, excited. It couldn't hold the grief it holds like when people inherit money there can be a lot of grief in money like there's so many different feelings we can put on money mm. but those are it's about the feelings not the money itself and I think it's really interesting what you say as well about different people having these different approaches because I work with people who've grown up with no money and I've worked with people who've grown up with lots of money and often the issues are similar it's not about like I think people often think oh well if you grew up with money you'll be fine no absolutely mm. not like there's so many layered feelings that can come alongside mm. that as well. Similarly, when people don't have money growing up, yeah, there can be loads of feelings. Both can have less feelings. Like it's it's completely individual. You were talking there about kind of doing the work mm. when it comes to money. And like you said, that's not yes. a, a destination. It's not, yeah. oh, I've done all my work and I'm finished. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing. Why is it important that we do the work? Because from my perspective, the work can feel uncomfortable, yeah. can feel difficult, can feel a bit painful. Actually staying where I am with my slightly wonky subconscious beliefs feels quite comfortable. Yeah. So why, yeah. why make that change? Well, I think it's also being really honest. Like if you're having peaks and troughs in your earnings, mm. is that really comfortable? Or is it just, you know, the True. discomfort you know? And so it feels yes. safer. It's familiar discomfort. Yeah, <laughs> familiar hideousness. <laughs> like for most of us, if you were in a situation where month in, month out, you were totally happy with the money you were making, then great. I would suggest, and I have personal experience of this, you don't want to get like slack on actually doing the work because you might find that the stuff actually creeps in and you haven't mm -hmm. noticed. But because everything around us leading with this real scarcity narrative, but also this very like, you have to be a certain person to make money. Yes. So, and that looks like loads of things. That looks like you have to be professional in a certain way. 
you have to be, um, you have to dress a certain way, you have to speak a certain way, your business has to look a certain way. Like a little while ago, there was a whole push about the only way to make money is if you've just got one product. It has to be one product. I don't know if you like saw that. No. Everywhere I looked, it was like one product's the way, one product's the way. Often, and I say this all the time because it really winds me up, often that narrative was being pushed by people who had one product made up of all their other products that they'd got to their one product <laughs> by. Like they'd figured out what their one product was and it would be a membership with like seven mini courses for when yeah. they had multiple products. And so there's often this thing of like either you've got to have loads of products, you've got to have this specific customer journey, mm. you've got to have, you know, whatever it is. So there's all these really narrow boxes we're being asked to put ourselves into and often they don't actually suit us. Mm. And so while, and I would say if you're making money month in, month out and you're fine, then maybe it is all right. Maybe you don't need to worry about it. I'd still say like, you know, be checking in with yourself. But most people are finding it's a much more of a roller coaster mm. and take into account, you know, we had COVID, then we've had cost of living, the war in Ukraine. We've had this mini budget. We've had all these different things, which most business owners, most like freelancers and self-employed people are like, oh my God, well, what's that going to mean? Mm. And so to like keep yourself emotionally steady in the midst of that around money specifically is not easy. Mm. And so it's it's really about untangling. I always describe it as like, if you imagine yourself, like it's like who you are and how you, you personally are meant to relate to money and your business and all that stuff. Because money's really just a symptom of how your business is going. It's not actually the be all and end all, mm. even though I'm a money coach. It's not the thing that I don't want everyone just focusing on making loads of money. I want people focusing on making the kind of money that makes them, that allows them to live the life they want yes. and have the impact they want. Yeah, that's and making what it in a way that feels good. Exactly. And, you know, and I've made a lot of money before them. that's wildly unsustainable. Exactly. Wouldn't make it again. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's like you want to make it, like work out who you are underneath all these layers of who you should be and mm. what you, who you have to be and who you're allowed to be and all those different things that get put on us that mean we end up doing things that don't actually fit who we actually are mm. like our actual our, our energy levels or our personality or just what brings us joy all of those things like you really want to be making money in that space and it often takes a while to uncover who you are in that space mm. and then create the business around it something i love that you talk about is that we can't control perhaps why we feel the way we do about money, <clears throat> yet we are responsible yes. for our future relationship with yes. money. So I say it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. That's my like catchphrase. They'll have it on my tombstone. I say it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Dodd. <laughs> It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. <laughs> do your kids hear that line all the time? Is that no, I'm quite good at that. I don't think they even know what oh, I do. Because no. I feel like I could apply that to most things in life. Oh, yeah. No, I like should bring it out fault, to them. Yeah, I should be saying it more to them. Definitely. <laughs> I love it. But I think, you know, all jokes aside, that's a great way of looking at it. Because, you know, I imagine for a lot of people listening, where they begin to reflect on their experiences with money and they think oh gosh you know I'm almost yeah. feeling a bit like a victim oh god all these yeah. things have happened to me yeah actually looking at it as like you know same with a lot of things in life we can't change that it's happened yeah. but right what can we do to help ourselves move yeah. forwards this is a very big question that I know <laughs> is not gonna have a one-size-fits-all answer but something that I love about the way you talk about money mm. is it feels like there's this very strong belief within you that we all can and deserve to make a lot of money yes full stop Absolutely. no caveats no disclaimers yes we all deserve to make tons of money yeah how do we make <laughs> lots of money in our businesses what does that look like in terms of action so i think it looks like uncovering who you actually are so it it looks like looking at where you are forcing yourself into spaces that don't fit you the online world could be so noisy with all of these like I didn't reel about this the other day because you like I saw this tip and then I got myself completely in knots about following this tip for a week and the tip was do less content but better quality I know that works for people and that's amazing that is not how my brain works my brain is firing on all cylinders with all sorts of different ideas I need to get the crap out and the, and eventually the good will come with it yeah that's how so I'm much more of a like let me just put it all out yes and I know that some of it's gonna land and some of it won't and that's, that's a great fine. mindset <laughs> I love that throw it at the wall See yeah exactly sticks. because when I do the oh it's got to be the best I just go, what's the best? What does the best look like? I don't know, I don't know. And I don't get anything mm -hmm. done, whereas I almost need to sneak it past my brain and then my best will come out and I'll be like, wow, people loved that post. Mm -hmm. I did not expect that. But so I'll get that quality. But it's interesting how I couldn't do content for a few days because I was like, well, I should be doing more. I should be doing more. And I just, that's not how I work. And that's just a small example of so many different ways 
we can end up doing business in ways that just don't suit who we are. So I work with lots of people with chronic health conditions, for example, and they're often feeling like, how can I make my business so that I'm able to be available all the time, so that I'm able to show up in this way? And, and the answer is, for that, with their energy levels, with the situation they're in, they can't. Mm. So they need to build a business that allows them to do what their body needs. Because if they try and do what somebody without that chronic health situations doing they're going to burn themselves out and not be in their business in the first place at all mm. so in order to create sustainable like you mentioned about sustainable income earlier yeah sustainable income we need it to reflect who we are what our quirks and weirdnesses are what our joys are like in one of my programs we do a joy audit because the idea is like what do you love doing like I could talk on a podcast days and just be so happy and so how can I get more of that into my business how can I make money from that one of my friends said when I started my business she went it's really weird right it's like you've monetized being yourself that is a dinner a party phrase isn't it way. amazing I love that yeah if you sit down in a dinner party next to me I'm probably going to encourage you to make money and that or dress like you want to dress or like I would have been coaching you before I knew what a coach was because mm. that's who I am and how I do things. Mm. And so, yeah, so a lot of it is about, and like you said, it is a huge question and I run like six month plus courses <laughs> on doing this, but yeah. it is a lot about like, what is you sized? What is you showing mm. up as you in your business, which then allows you to like that, the money to flow because there's not as much resistance in terms of like, oh God, I know I've got to show up like that. Like I know I've got to try and be that way, but it's just mm. so like, cause sometimes it can be so hard. This is a, an odd analogy to use to possibly reflect back what you're saying there. But I had a real realization recently that for the last seven years, I've been trying to make myself a runner when I'm not a runner. Yes. So I like really value at the moment the way I'm looking after myself. I'm so prone to burnout that it's like mm -hmm. very, very necessary just to look at those personal habits. And I was like, right, September rolls around. Let's get back into running and I keep mm -hmm. going. And I just realized halfway through a run, I was like, I hate running. <laughs> yeah. Like what actually matters to me is being my version of healthy and mm -hmm. fit and moving my body. And I have struggled to do that for years because I've always thought, well, the only way to do that is by analogy. running. Yeah. And then I went to a class recently mm -hmm. and I did some spinning and I did some hit and I was yeah. like, this is what I like to yes. do. And I'm reaching the same goal, yeah. completely different way of getting there, but yeah. a way that actually feels yeah. good for me. What I would do is break it down even more. So what do you love about that? What is it in the classes mm. that you love? Like what's happening there? Like, is it the connecting with people? Is it the the having a teacher? Is it the, like, whatever it is? Yeah. And you can often get so much, like, gold in that to keep expanding on that kind of space so that you can trust that you, and obviously we're moving it then into business. Yes. But you're far more likely to sustain that kind of exercise, right? Like, yeah. to keep showing up. And that's mm. the thing. So many of us are struggling so much. And we can look at it in content. Like, oh, my content, I just don't want to write another post. Well, do you love video? Can you talk about something you love doing in amongst, all of this stuff like how can you are you trying to use words that aren't you like that's a real if people have been in the corporate world or just absorbed stuff generally yeah the amount of people whose website you land on and you're like who is this <laughs> is this like, a linkedin page yeah feels very exactly, exactly. No, like if when we do that we put ourselves in a position of competing on price Mm -hmm. because we're just like these are the bare bones of my business like I'm a photographer and these are my photos and that's it whereas if you actually get a sense of who that person is and not just through their photos also through their website through their content like you're getting a sense of that person then you start being like I want to hire that person that's mm -hmm. who I want and the price becomes less of an issue and then we make more money because we can price in a way that feels good to us as well that feels like such a permission slip and I hope in the same way that I'm feeling like right now so many listeners will be like ah oh, that's probably a big part of what's feeling difficult in my business right now. Yeah. You know, we are bombarded <clears throat> with information and you know, we are people sat here today giving out a lot of information. Have so some I'm, more. I'm not bashing <laughs> the information giving, um, <laughs> but it is so important just thinking as you're saying there that every time we consume it, it goes through a filter yes. of not just, oh, that person's telling me to do this. So great, I'm gonna blindly go and do it. But actually, oh, does that align with A, what my vision is, B, mm. the way I want to run my business, you know, what feels good to me, like you're saying there. Obviously, a big part of making a lot of money is yeah. pricing. You yes. mentioned that yourself. Yes. Pricing is easily the biggest topic that people ask about. It really is, on yeah. On this podcast. And yeah. I tend to talk about pricing a lot from the perspective that I feel equipped and comfortable in, which yeah. is from quite a logical standpoint of thinking about, you know, what's the theory behind your pricing? And 
I do believe, I think when you know some of the numbers behind it, it feels a bit easier to own that price point. You don't just mm-hmm. feel like you've plucked it out of yes. thin air. There are so many feelings attached mm. to prices, right? Which I guess yeah. is partly where I like the logical bit because it feels like it takes the feeling yeah. away from me where I'm yeah. like, the price is the price, is nothing to do with me. Yeah. But when your business is yourself, like you've said, you've monetized yeah. being you, it's yes. hard not to feel like that price is very attached yeah. to us as humans, our self-worth, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. How do we price in a way that is good, i.e. it makes us a lot of money, yeah without feeling super icky about yeah, it and say, it's halving icky. it the minute that we actually yeah. go and send it to someone. So am I allowed to promote a freebie on here? Absolutely. Okay, so I actually have this flowchart, which is called the Pricing with Feelings Guide, I think. And um, it basically does the thing. So yeah, I agree with you. Maths is really important. And that sounds really obvious, but people mm. forget. They do. It's like, do the maths. Look at your overheads. What do you want to earn? Because of the sort of business, I should be really clear, the sort of business I run is not a product-based business where I've got specific overheads. I've got Mm -hmm. like a team and stuff like that. So I tend to price in more of a like how it feels to me, Mm -hmm. knowing what I need to make for the month. So I would look at, so for coaches, for example, or service-based business, you might look at like, okay, I could sign this many people at that price. That would lead me to make this much a month. That's kind of how I like to do it. Completely. But often you land on the price and people go, Oh my mm. God, uh, mm. Either, or they go, oh, that's not very much. Even though they've done the math and that's the number, but it feels disappointing or it feels, and I talk about underpricing or overstretching. With pricing, I don't really talk about overpricing. I think you can overstretch with your pricing. And that means that your price is stretching beyond what your self-concept, which is a super coachy word, which just means like your ideas about yourself mm. and your nervous system can hold. And that's when you get the situation that you're talking about where maybe you're on a Zoom call with a, a potential client, you get to the price bit and you say the price and like straight away look down and look really like, oh my God, I can't believe we're talking about this. Or you drop it and that's mm. what happens a lot. Or even you email and say, this is the price. Let me know if you've got any problems. If that's an issue, we can sort something out. And you're already saying, oh my God, this is too much, isn't it? I like, feel so seen. <laughs> Because it is. I mean, I even notice as you're saying that I always round the price down. Yeah. Like I do a yeah. lot of package work with startups at the moment and I'll figure out my hourly rate and then I'll always just knock a few hundred off. Right. I'm like, why? Like yeah. what is that? But that is, it's like almost like that hand on the door moment, isn't it? Like you're saying of people in calls, that yeah. hand on the door moment with pricing where it's like so confident up into a point and then it's yeah. like, okay, quickly, let's I slash can't it. Hold it. I can't hold it. And that's your, your self-concept and your nervous system not quite being able to hold that price. Mm. And so... I absolutely, so in the Pricing with Feelings guide, I say like, do the math. And I always say there's loads of people with amazing formulas that I haven't got that can give you the maths end of this. Mm. But what the Pricing with Feeling guide does is it goes, right, now how does that price feel? Like what's the next? So check in with yourself. Does it feel icky? Icky is the word with pricing. People are always like, oh, it just feels icky. It feels like a bit, I feel like I'm gonna be sick. Like even saying the price out loud. Mm. And so we need to check in with that. And what beliefs are leading you to think that? So it might be, it's just too much for them. I know it's too much. So we're getting in our clients' pockets and deciding with a no, no knowledge of their income other yes. than maybe snippets, what they can and can't afford. Often, and this is slightly uncomfortable, but for women listening, particularly women who work with women, I um, often talk about the fact that what we're often doing is policing how other women spend their money, which is really uncomfortable because that's a big old like misogynistic nastiness that we've all been subjected to in various ways. Bear in mind, like women weren't allowed bank accounts and stuff till quite recently. So, you know, when we're doing that, we're saying like, and this happened with the cost of living crisis, it happened with Ukraine, it happened with COVID, um, where people go, people shouldn't be spending their money. Why are you selling? Why I shouldn't be selling? This is not what people should be spending their Mm. money on. We're deciding for them Mm. what they spend without trusting them. Yeah. You're basically saying you don't have the ability to make a decision. Yes. So I'm going to decide for yes. all of you yes. that none of you want to buy. That, yes, that none of you can afford this, that it's going to put you in financial mm. dire straits. So like, many assumptions. It's so many assumptions. And it's so it's it's so problematic when we don't trust people. Like if we talk about, without going into this loads, but like I'm very into the idea of dismantling various systems patriarchal systems, white supremacy systems, all of that stuff. If we really want to dismantle that stuff, we have to notice where we're accidentally, and this is very much a not your fault situation, Mm. where we're accidentally propping them up, where we are perpetuating this idea that people can't be trusted to make their own money decisions. And I always tell the story of two clients when I started, I think I was about probably in the first year of me coaching, two clients, one of whom I knew, one of whom done a course of mine, 
they wanted to book onto a group coaching program, which I think was about 1500 pounds for three, four months of coaching. And I knew they were both on benefits. And I was like, I absolutely should not take that call. That's not an ethical thing to do. I should like, they shouldn't be spending their money on that, like making all these decisions. And I'd done enough of my own money work with other coaches at the time to be like, okay, that's not, I shouldn't make that decision for them. I'll do, I'll do the call and I'll be really careful with how I, which I always am. I never ask people to make a decision on the call, Mm -hmm. but it got to the end and I always say, I say the price and then I say, how does that feel? Um, Or if they know the price, I'll be like, how do you feel about the price and the money stuff? And they both signed up on the call neither of them are on benefits anymore they both run one of them runs a six-figure business one of them runs like a a really like successful apparel business I guess like but a lot of her stuff is like low end but she they both support their families now I'm not saying I got them there they might have done another course Mm. but I definitely would have got in their way if I decided how they should spend their money and how they manage their money which I had no idea about I don't even know how they paid for it. Maybe they asked family members, but whatever they did, it had a really positive effect Mm. for them. And as long as you create, you know, obviously here we're talking about service-based businesses, but with however you sell, as long as you make a selling process that is consensual and ethical and gives people all the information in the space that they need to make their own decision, it's not on you then to make any of that decision And it's so interesting we talk about ethical selling, which I'm really pro. I would say like ethical is very like a nebulous term, but equally I'm really pro that in spirit, but that's allowing people to make their own decisions. And yet we often label pricing our stuff lower and not uh, like as if that's more ethical. So true, or just not marketing ourselves at all I I feel like you can relate it to marketing as well I see it a lot like I've always a peak in people that message me around big life events you know the Mm. Ukraine war even the Queen's death yes a lot of messages off of clients like oh should I stop this or check and I was like you know let's think about it I moved a launch because of it Mm. but that was because the launch was due to be on the day of a funeral and people weren't gonna be on Instagram I was gonna say it's where their eyes are isn't it yeah but it wasn't from a place of oh gosh there's something going on in the world there's uncertainty so I'm gonna now hold back Mm -hmm. and actually a perspective I don't know who I first saw it from but I feel like a lot of people share the same message that really resonated with me was sharing that actually if you're holding back selling something you are stopping people from having the impact of what you do. Yeah. You know, if you truly believe and feel connected to the, the impact that your work yeah. can have, you're doing people a disservice Absolutely. by not selling it to them. Especially when we think about something like a recession that is probably coming up. Mm. <laughs> they seem to be trying to def- desperately make that happen. So if there's a recession, one of the things I've done whenever there's been, and there's been so many big bumps in the road after, over the last five, six years is invest in support so that I can get my business through that because I know I'm going to have more feelings coming up I know I'm going to have lots of questions I know the market's going to be changing again this is this is more of a service base but I think you can apply it to product-based businesses as well because I think product-based businesses can really underestimate the impact they have Mm -hmm. um but for service-based businesses like say you're a business coach or you are um you do run a social media company all sorts of things you could be part of what gets that person through Mm. that recession you could be part of you know the fact even that they just invested in you could be part of why they stick at it and they they think in certain ways and they stay on their feet with it the idea that we should remove it from people because they shouldn't we just boil it down to they shouldn't be spending their money right now yeah it's not it's not our decision to make there's obviously so much work for us all to do around that because from what you're saying it feels like a lot of it comes back to worrying about how people see us yeah and being very conscious of oh god you know they're going to judge me because of the price they're going to judge me because I'm selling so obviously that's a whole other conversation and what I'd imagine a lot of doing the work is is picking those things yeah like a big thing that comes up when we talk about pricing and money mindset is affordability yeah and I almost see it as this bit of a like right Ray you've like done a really good serve you've given us a really good point and then people try to hit back this word of affordability mm. like well bam that's why you're yeah. wrong because yeah. <laughs> I want to be affordable and I want to be accessible yeah. how do we price in a way that is affordable because we are wanting to be considerate to our communities mm-hmm. and also just sell something that people can buy because if they can't buy it yeah they're not going to buy it yet still make sure it works for us. So there's a few aspects to it. So the first thing is, I don't think affordability exists. Interesting. Because 
if you're set, if you, and it's really, it's kind of a bit of an unacknowledged privilege piece. If you're selling something for a pound, some people can't afford it. And for some people, if you're charging 50,000 pounds, it's not expensive enough for them to value it. So a lot of it is about getting really clear on who your people are. Um, I, I can't remember who I heard say this either, but someone said like, speak exclusively to your ideal client and ignore everybody else. And I think that's really important. Like just who are your people? What are they, so we can take you know, all, all that's going on in the world and be like, how are your people feeling in this moment? Because some of them want to buy things that are gonna make them feel better because it all feels really rubbish. And some of them are gonna want to, like I just said, invest in business support because that really matters right now. Or they're gonna want to free up some of their time and get a service-based business in to take off some stuff so that they can focus on navigating it. Like what, what are your clients doing? And focus your pricing around them. And also, and I've got a whole podcast episode on this in my um, podcast because it's long like to go into it but when when we talk about affordability i think we're often thinking about what we could afford and we're also shrinking what's possible for people we're deciding beforehand like we just said what they can and can't afford mm -hmm. and we're not making space for what they they might be aspiring to afford i don't know if you've done this but i've invested in particularly coaching programs multiple times when i didn't know how i was going to make the money every single month and part of investing has allowed me to make more money. Now, I'm not suggesting that's always a good idea, by the way, because you need to check in with that self-concept and um, nervous system thing. If it puts you in a panic, don't do it. Yeah, it's not good. But if it's like feels exciting and like, well, I've got a plan. Like if I sold these things, if I did this, then that would happen. Why don't I believe that can happen in order for me to make that extra amount of money? And so there is an element as well when we just focus on affordability. It's very like retract contracting kind mm. of energy to it. It's very like, oh, what's what could they maybe afford rather than like, what would they like to spend? Because I know that lots of people are struggling at the moment. I'm not pretending they aren't, but a lot of people aren't as well. Mm. And if your clients are in that space, then it's okay to sell at prices that really support what you need as well. Mm. And what's gonna allow you to show up and do your best work. Cause we've all priced things at points and then being resentful. And, and like I always say, it's so funny, like being like, oh, why are they only paying that about the price that you set? <laughs> <laughs> that was you. Yeah, <laughs> like hurting your own feelings with yes. your pricing. And we've all done that. Like, again, it's not a judgment at all. I've definitely done that and been like, oh my God, this is way too much for what I've decided to charge mm. for. It. I have such a toxic relationship with my past self. Like the <laughs> yeah. things that she does that now I'm like, <laughs> you are <laughs> absolute dickhead. Do not like you anymore. Um, something that's just coming to mind as you're saying that is even just reflecting on how we see other people charging must yes. have a really direct yes. link to how we view ourselves. I had a really interesting conversation with a client, it was a good few years ago, and they were telling me, oh, I'm really worried that people are gonna judge that this is too much and I'm pricing yeah. too much. And I, I thought I was being really good asking this next question. I was like, well, you surely don't judge other people that charge a lot. And she was like, no, I do. Yeah. She's like, I really do. Yeah. And I'm even just thinking of that now and I'm like, well, yeah, I look, you know, in this, the worlds that we're in of, mm -hmm. of people doing one-to-one -one support, I look at people that charge over 10,000 pounds for a package mm -hmm. and I always look at that and just go, first of all, love that for you, but also yeah. like, oh, it's a bit much, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But then I realize, well, yeah, if I'm looking at other people's pricing like that, of course I'm then gonna have some weird feelings about mine yeah. because you're just assuming that people yeah. are looking at you the way you're looking at yeah. others. And that was the switch for me, and this was quite recent with this expansive versus expensive. So like when, mm. we're, when I'm saying, and again, my audience are primarily women, so what am I saying? Women like them can't afford certain amounts. Like mm. what am I, how am I shrinking what's possible for them when I shrink what's possible for me? Yes. And what am I, when I say like, yeah, you can totally make this much money. On repeat, of course you can invest that and then some. I'm actually creating a space for them to step into with that. Mm. And I have no issue, and I know some coaches do. If you, if you find a coach that has this issue, run, it's such a flipping red, red flag, but I have no issue with my clients out earning me. Like amazing, like go for it. Yeah. Go like, you know, the, that investment could be the spark. And obviously then the work we do together, it's not like I'm like, well, you invested. So <laughs> that's all the work mm. we need to do now. But you know, that investment could be part of what kind of expands that self-concept. Suddenly you, well, I was talking to my assistant about this and I don't, I don't know if anyone else, well, no, I think some people will totally relate to this, but like if I buy an expensive lipstick, it changes who I feel, think I am. You know, that kind of feeling of like, yes. well, this, I'm putting this, it's just lipstick, it's not changed anything, or a nice bag, or certain outfits. They can really change how you feel about yourself and who, mm. like, same with your surrounding. It's why I'm 
So I think actually so many product-based businesses really do themselves a disservice when they don't consider the impact they have. Because yes. for me, like surroundings have such an impact on so much of what we do. The sort of pen you hold even, like the diary you're writing in can change who you believe you are. Massively. Um, and so similarly, when there's an investment like that, it can absolutely be expansive and like, oh, I get to step into this space and suddenly we're showing up on our social media differently. We're believing, we're putting out products that we didn't believe, you know, we could, like we weren't that sort of person because we become mm. that sort of person. And I want to be really clear, the investment is one aspect of that. I'm not saying that, that's, you know, I feel like some coaches are like, just invest and your life will completely change. Mate, that always, <laughs> my, I'm like, wait, so I'm just giving you 20 grand it's almost as like a bank account, like yeah. I'm just <laughs> you, the money like, transfer is the work. Yeah, that, like that. that's it. But, so I'm like, not saying well that. Give twenty grand to my dad, and then he'll give it back to me in two <laughs> yeah. years' time. Like, but equally, I do think there is something in that of like who you become when you commit to mm. something like that. And so, yeah, I think when it comes to the pricing thing, it's also asking yourself like, what what is that going to mean for my clients? Now, what's the difference between when you buy, I don't know, I'm trying to think like things in your house even, like the first time you buy something that's not Ikea. It's gonna, uh, the one that came to <laughs> mind was like an Ikea candle versus yeah. like when you go to HomeSense exactly. and you buy like. Yeah, or even like a beauty pie candle versus like an actual diptyque candle. Mm. Like they smell quite similarly. They're actually made by a lot of the same people but there's a difference in kind of like how it feels. Yes. And I think it's just remembering that as well, like what transformation and what experience do you want for your clients mm. and customers? Because the price is a part of that. It's not yes. it, but it's a part of it. Massively. As well. So if people are sat listening to this, and obviously we're heading into a time of what's likely gonna be a bit of uncertainty, the old R word, how, recession. How unusual coming for, up again. for current times. God, I really feel for business owners that started up like at the start of COVID, because I feel like I at least got a few years yeah. of just a clean run. Yeah. You know, I Although think do you think it's like, like they'll be amazing once it's all done? Yeah. They'll be like, this is a piece of piss. I know, they're <laughs> gonna be so resilient. Like if you can survive these years, you're gonna be absolutely fine. Um, but you know, as we are heading into this time, I think a lot of business owners will be yeah. thinking, God, should I cut my pricing? Yeah. And I think based off what you just shared, we're all thinking, no, I'm not gonna cut my pricing. Yeah. But like, what can we do? If we are thinking, well, I wanna make sure that I'm still, and I accessible slash affordable, but you know I'm using that in the right way. Yeah. If there is a right way to use that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a longer conversation part two. <laughs> what should we be doing with our pricing or our finances to prepare ourselves for this coming season? I would actually say, digging in something we said earlier, like mm -hmm. you don't wanna be competing on price. That's always true. It's especially true now. So you want to be competing on who, like, and you can't compete on this because you can only you are you and only you are what you do. But it's like being really clear on why, like, who are you? What makes you unique? And getting really, really bold in what I often talk about as attracting and repelling. So you want to attract the perfect clients, but with every single thing you do that attracts them, you want to, you're going to repel the not ideal clients. Yeah. And so you want to do both of those things at once and be as as you in it as you can so that it is this clear offering of not, oh, I'm going to buy that because they're the most accessible or mm. the most affordable. I'm going to buy that. And this, even if you're selling like similar things to other people, because that's true in the service-based industry as well. I think it's sometimes people feel like it's easier to make it individualized. But I think with products, like I want to see who I'm buying from. Yeah. And and it do that doesn't just mean faces. It's more in like, it, but it can do. And if you're comfortable with that, that's the easiest way to do it. Like tell stories, mm. get people involved in what you do and who you are and like your your weird little quirks and stuff as well like the things I do like honestly the, and then like and I'm embarrassed I embarrass myself regularly <laughs> just doing like workshops and stuff like I'll be talking about my fringe or I start banging on in the workshop I did the other week about how I get confused putting on cardigans and that's why I wear dresses and as I was saying I was like why does anyone care but those are the sorts of things people often you know that's the sort of nonsense you say to friends yeah. and it's part of how you become friends is mm. that like my friendship group, we all became friends in mum baby groups, my friendship group in where I live. And we did that because we didn't fit in with anybody else there. Mm. And so we all sort of found each other as these, turns out it's ADHD by the way, like all of us have got ADHD. <laughs> You're texting each other now like, are yeah. you seeing these like, TikToks oh, as well? Yeah, exactly. What is your, what's your algorithm telling you you've yeah. got? So, um, but yeah, we, we bonded over the fact that we didn't fit in. And that's something that, you know, is true in my audience. A lot of them don't feel like they fit into certain elements of 
what they've been told about money or mm. in certain aspects of the coaching world that just doesn't quite fit who they are. So I would say like really practically look at like getting your ducks in a row, like where are you not doing really obvious things? Like certainly at the beginning of this year, we realized that we weren't adding people to my newsletter. Like, and we just sort of mm. forgotten to do it. So we, we've been sorting that out this year, but there might be things like that, that you can be like, where, where can you be more consistent with some stuff? Kind of hate that word, but you know, more persistent with some stuff like what can you be doing and how can you be honing in on mm. who you actually are and sharing that with people because that's that. what's really irresistible for people it's not the price the price is mm. like you said the price is the price it just is that's why with affordable i'm like meh it's not it, sh it shouldn't really be a consideration if it's affordable mm. or not because affordable to who that's it's more like does this feel good to me can i hold it in my body does it give me the money i want is it covering my expenses? Then that's the price. And then you speak to those people who can afford it. And something I think maybe to end on that I saw you sharing on Instagram that I really mm. resonated with was this idea of building a business that is generous to us yeah. and generous to others. Yes. I thought that's such a beautiful way of looking at it where it's not selfish, it's not all about you, but it's also not all about them. I think the, no. the conversation can easily go too far one of those ways. Absolutely. Actually, it's how do I build something? How do I price it? How do yeah. I sell it? How do I deliver it? that's generous to me, yeah. generous to them. That's a beautiful way of doing yeah. business. And I think if you, if generosity matters to you, you can really trust yourself with that. Like mm -hmm. if you are someone who's sat there going, oh, but, oh my God, she's just taken affordability away. I feel terrible now. <laughs> like, what am I gonna do? You can really trust that you are a generous, kind-hearted, empathetic human being. Yeah. And you can trust that a lot of conditioning has got in there to probably make you more concerned about others than yourself, which is mm -hmm. very, very normal. That's what I call kindness at all costs, which is this idea that we've got to be kind and that's what matters most. So when a war kicks off, everyone goes, well, never mind the fact that I need to eat. It's terrible to sell. I won't sell yeah. anything. And it's like, well, can you afford to do that? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people can't. And also um, we're then ignoring the fact that we might make things worse by us stopping. That's yeah. what I always find crazy. It's like like both of us have team members, yeah. right? People yeah. who we helped pay their bills by yeah. us running our businesses. Yeah. I am doing them a disservice if I go, oh guys, because there's so yeah. uncertainty, I'm gonna stop selling. Yeah. Well, that doesn't actually help anyone because no. if anything, it's negatively impacting exactly. my team. If not, then all the other people that I and could also, have worked there's with. there's always a war on. There's been a war on True. For, for ages, forever somewhere it's just we pick what is in the news and what matters to yeah. us and start to make meaning out of that but if if you're not going to sell whenever there's a war on then you stop now and and you never start again so because it would be lovely if we were going to have a world without wars but i don't think that's going to happen for quite some time nope. so it's also just that kind of like looking at like hang on what's happening here and it's it's actually it's really tricky because we feel like we're doing a nice thing for people but in reality we're protecting ourselves from feeling like we're doing the wrong thing mm -hmm. and we need to like look at like you said what's actually kind showing up for our clients and customers and making sure that we and our team are paid yes that's actually kind and that's why i say like if it's not generous to you it's actually not generous to the other people i think that's a beautiful note to end on <laughs> i've genuinely found this conversation fascinating oh good i really enjoyed it and i love your approach with like you're saying earlier almost like start with the numbers start yeah. with the theory but then it's right and how does this feel yeah so i'll link in the show notes that freebie you talked about the podcast episode you mentioned yes. i mean you put so much i love that approach by the way i've just put loads of content yeah. out to see what sticks because yeah. it's very generous to all of us exactly so <laughs> i'll leave all of your links in the show notes. you've got an amazing podcast that people can basically just mm -hmm. hear more of this yes yeah lots of this on and on um so yeah thank you cool. for joining me thank you for having me it's been lovely mm -hmm.